Hey there, welcome back to Alaris Classroom, presented by Alaris North America. We promote international knowledge and skills circulation by matching global leaders with emerging market organizations, and we are glad to have you today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Alaris Classroom. Today, we have with us Benjamin Quinlan. Benjamin is the CEO and managing partner of Quinlan and Associates, a strategy consulting firm in Hong Kong. He is also the chairman of the FinTech Association of Hong Kong, an adjunct professor at the AIT School of Management, a mentor for PN's Cloud Accelerator, a guest contributor for eFinancial Careers and Regulation Asia, and a senior advisor to several leading startups. Prior to founding Quinlan Associates, Benjamin was the head of strategy for Deutsche Bank AG's equities business in Asia Pacific and its investment bank in Greater China. He has also worked at Oliver Wyman, UBS, and PwC. Welcome, Ben. Well, thank you very much, Chelsea. Great. So let's start off with the initial stage of your career first. So we know that you graduated in Australia and worked there for a few years. Mm -hmm. Why did you decide to leave Australia and return to Hong Kong? I believe it was in 2009. That's correct. I, I mean, being born and raised in Hong Kong, I, I always had a, a great affinity for this city and I, I love it. I love the buzz. I love the vibe. Um, Australia is beautiful, but probably for a young person in their career, it wasn't quite the right place. Um, I, I wasn't a big fan of the, the taxes in Australia as well. And mm -hmm. just the lifestyle in general was much slower. And I, and I think when I look at the uh, career down in Australia, most of the work that I was doing was extremely Australian centric. Whereas when I moved to Hong Kong uh, with UBS at the time, I was immediately looking after 14 different Asia Pacific countries and markets and all of them being very different. So I would say as a financial hub, Hong Kong was a logical place for me to return to. So I would say a mix of personal lifestyle and career reasons. It just made a lot of sense. It was definitely the right thing for me to do. Mm, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And um, so which company did you return to when you went to Hong Kong? Or was it the same employer that you were with in Australia? It was with UBS. So I originally started with UBS in Sydney. And mm -hmm. after just under two years with them, I, I was transferred back to, or not back to, I was transferred to Hong Kong. Uh, yeah. And, you know, that was for me putting up my hand and wanting to do the move. So they facilitated that for me. And I ended up working with the Asia Pacific CEO at the time, which was a, mm -hmm. a great experience and spent a few years under under him and building out a new internal group strategy team and then moving mm -hmm. over to a client coverage team. So, yeah, it was a, it was a good experience. Very, very much something I keep in, you know, my memory is a very fond memory. Yeah, that sounds great. So you've worked at um, several large multinational companies like UBS, Oliver Wyman, and Deutsche Bank mm -hmm. before starting your own company. What do you think are some of the pros and cons at working at these really big global companies? I think, you know, like most multinational firms, you, you join, you get uh, the initial things back maybe before the GFC were a lot of brand prestige and, you know, uh, working with extremely bright people, uh, a very wide network. So I think it was great working in an organization uh, where you could meet huge 
hugely diverse uh, backgrounds of individuals, as well mm -hmm. as have the opportunity to work in different offices around the world, which I mm -hmm. clearly took advantage of. Um, and, you know, I, I think the opportunities there to learn under people who have been there and done that, who are obviously mm -hmm. very capable and working with bright individuals is a, is a big plus. And obviously, when you work with a large firm, the infrastructure, the processes, a lot of mm -hmm. things in place help you, especially at the start of your career, to find structure, you know, to understand yeah. how things work. Mm -hmm. um, but by the same token, I think that can work as a, a real downside, you know, sometimes too much process and, mm. and, and structure and it can be a bit hampering towards, you know, a more innovative entrepreneurial spirit. And, mm. you know, trying to move a big corporate machine is often quite a laborious and painful process. So. For me, after doing it long enough, I started to realize that, you know, with where I wanted to go and the things that were important for me, it wasn't quite, <laughs> it wasn't quite right. And I think my yeah. DNA was very much to be uh, more of an entrepreneur and, and do my own thing. Um, I think the reality as well, one of the other downsides of corporates, and it happens, it doesn't need to be a huge organization, but it's uh, company politics, right? And mm. I think it happens at any organization. I really frown upon company politics. I, I generally mm -hmm. find it, it hampers good thought process and creative thinking and in the idea to generate the best ideas. And, you know, it, it doesn't create an environment where every single person can excel in yeah, what, what every company says is a flat structure, but the reality is it's not a flat structure. So. Uh, politics is something I, I just generally did not like and mm -hmm. I thought of myself when I set up my own firm that I wouldn't create that kind of an environment and I think thus far we <laughs> we haven't mm -hmm. done that. so it's it's been good yeah yeah and um I, I guess you've told this story quite a few times already and I've seen it in a lot of articles that you were interviewed at but just like for this audience sake um to just like tell a little bit of your story, how you started your own company. At what point did you realize that this is what I want to do? Sure. I, you know, I went from investment banking to strategy consulting because mm -hmm. I always looked at strategic consultants as being extremely bright. And mm -hmm. I really admired their thought process and their work. Whether I believe they knew as much about the industry as someone working in-house was mm -hmm. a different matter. But mm -hmm. I, I, I like the thought process and I, I like the idea of being a consultant. I always thought about it when I was uh, younger. So I joined the consulting industry. It was yeah pretty intense. I had to learn a lot very quick, but mm -hmm. I was able to apply a lot of my knowledge from the industry into that role. And mm -hmm. after a while, again, you know, the, the battle of going through a larger consulting firm and working out how to make your way to partnership was something that i don't know it just didn't quite hit the mark for me and mm. again maybe it was me right i look i look mm. back on the story and think maybe my character was not the right person to be working under people so mm. time off had a sabbatical it was quite exhausting working in uh, an international consultancy because you're you know in the air all the time and mm. i didn't feel very grounded i mean i don't i don't mind traveling for work i quite enjoy it you know but I often found spending only one or two days home a week was a bit taxing. You know, it, it impacted mm. my personal life. 
my personal relationships, uh, mm-hmm. friends, family, everything. So, you know, that trade-off for me in the end wasn't worth it. And then when I went back mm-hmm. to the banking industry, new opportunity, tried something a bit more uh, out of my comfort zone because I didn't have a, a natural background in the area that I went into in terms of my product focus, in terms of where mm-hmm. I was looking at. But yeah, great experience. And again, I think looking at the industry and, you know, if you're a decent strat consultant, you'll understand what the forward is for for that particular business you're working in. And mm-hmm. I didn't see too much of a bright future for the equities business on the sell side mm-hmm. overall. Um, I believe that the bank I was working at at the time was going through some uh, teething pains <laughs> mm. to kind of sum it up in a very light way. And, you know, the opportunities for me there, I, I no matter what kind of promotional role I was offered, because I was offered a, a role in London to go and drive a lot of the strategy efforts for that business, it mm-hmm. didn't stack up for me in the end. And I started to think, you know, what is wrong with the industry? How can I fix it? But I didn't want to go back in another consultancy where I thought some things weren't done in the right way. I I knew Mm -hmm. it was broken. So the only way I could really go out and try and address that was to set up my own thing. So it was with that in mind, I I launched Quinlan & Associates in 2016. And yeah, a big leap of faith and something that was scary going out on your own, but very happy I did it. It was the best career decision of my entire life. I absolutely love it. But I think all the experience I had until that point was really critical in allowing me to be successful in setting up my business, right? Especially in learning how to be a consultant and learning how to consult in the right way for the kind of clients we were speaking to. So you know, mm-hmm. as the yeah. experiences were good and bad. I took a lot away from them, and you know, it was it was critical in allowing me to succeed in my current my current role. Yeah, that's great to hear. So maybe a little bit more about your, the company that you have founded. What do you think differentiates Queen and Associates from the other consulting firms? Maybe some of those that you yourself have worked at. Uh, well, I mean, look, our strap line is strategy with a difference, right? It's like to mm-hmm. the core essence of what we are. I sat down and I spent a lot of time thinking, well, why does the world need one more consulting firm? And mm. there were quite a few points of difference that I highlighted regarding our approach, our way of delivery, um, you know, our, our model of working with clients. I think there's quite a few things, but if I had to sum it up in Mm -hmm. just maybe two or three points, firstly, uh, we don't do hypothesis-led inductive reasoning, right? So Mm. it doesn't mean we don't have an ingoing view, but I don't bias our advice by putting forward a hypothesis up front about what is wrong with the client. We Mm -hmm. go through fact-based diagnostics, and I use the example just like when you go to a doctor, you know, they may run some tests, but they have to go through all the tests to give you a proper diagnosis. You don't just walk in the doctor's office and they just guess what it is, right? Uh, mm. They may have an inclination, but you need to do your homework. And I often look at us like a corporate doctor. And sometimes the information that you find through doing your research, through doing your analysis, just as a doctor would run blood tests or a CT scan, you'll be surprised what you can find. And maybe your initial view about what you thought something might be is not correct. So that's something I found really critical. And for me, 
the process of doing that is much more, I would call it intellectually rigorous. The outcome that you end up at is uh, much more justified. And mm. it allows you to provide advice which is specifically relevant to the client as opposed to coming up with really high level conjecture and thinking that sounds good and tells a nice story. But at the end of the day, the client can't really execute uh, any mm -hmm. of it. I think the other side of it is the partners who uh, sell the projects are the partners on the projects. So what I often found was a partner would sell a project and vanish and give the work to a manager. And that yeah. manager would have a few years experience with one other consultant underneath them. And that would be your consulting team. And I generally found that approach to be rather underwhelming for clients. I, you know, if I look at why clients engaged with the particular business is because they wanted the partner there and executing and helping with the project. So as a partner, we never take our eye off the ball. We're there on every client call at every client meeting. It's important that you as senior leadership are actually, you know, putting your money where your mouth is. And if a client has engaged you to do a project that you are on that project. So yeah. I think it's, you know, it's an important aspect of building trust and building a relationship for the long term with our clients. And, you know, if I maybe say around business model, we don't just work with large financial institutions and multinationals. We often find ways to work with more innovative startups, fintechs, more nimble SMEs who we generally think have great growth prospects mm -hmm. and find out you know, more, more smart ways to work with those companies and structure our fees to ride with them throughout a longer term growth journey. And I think our clients do appreciate that because they realize that we have skin in the game and we're obviously a firm that can stand by its advice and support the client on that journey. So, you know, I can rattle off a whole bunch more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure you can. Is strategy with a difference is something I truly believe. Uh, and it's something, you know, I, I, I stand behind every single day when I'm at the firm because we are fundamentally different to uh, the other consultancies. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, so from an employer's perspective, what are some of the key traits that you look for in candidates that apply to your company? Uh, well, I mean, first one is raw intellect. I think it's very hard to get by in this career unless you're bright. Uh, you can be extremely hardworking, but if you don't have the intelligence, it's going to be difficult, right? It really is going to be tough because of the way that we go about our consulting uh, projects. So it requires a amount of intellectual rigor that the client hasn't thought about. We go deeper, we go further. So you're really flexing your brain muscles every single day. Yeah. Uh, but I think beyond the intellect is really the attitude, right? Attitude is everything. It's do you have an ownership attitude? Do you have the ability to work well with your colleagues and with clients? And the EQ component around attitude is critical. I think a lot of people think that they can put on an attitude that seems like it's right, but you need to have uh, a good emotional awareness of people around you to be able to adapt and work with them in the right way. Because every client is different, every colleague is different. so you know, having that self-awareness to work out how to, I would say, augment the way you work and augment the way you deliver messages uh, in such a way that you get the most impact is really, really important. 
And that's why I often find that, you know, really good consultants have the have all the IQ, but the EQ to adapt. And that adaptability is very, very important. But the the other parts, especially around, um, you know, the early stages of your career is really that hunger, uh, intellectual mm -hmm. hunger, the willingness to learn, the willingness to roll up your sleeves. We're not of a size like McKinsey, but we produce work that competes directly with the biggest firms in the world. And mm. I think that requires a certain level of discipline and ability to roll up your sleeves, um, mm. ability to listen and, you know, learn from those around you. And I often say to my team, you know, this is a really, really bright bunch of people in this room. If we can't figure it out, then no one else can. Who are, who else is going to if we don't <laughs> do it? So, you know, taking that mentality and having the ability to be confident but humble at the same time, you know, there's a lot of policies, but there's no one ideal candidate. I think that diversity and mix of experience is very important because you're able to balance your ideas out and then bounce mm -hmm. off, you know, different perspectives which tend to enrich your thought process much, much more. Yeah, cool. Thanks so much for sharing. So maybe a little about like your side hobby. I know that you are involved in stand-up comedy, right? Which mm -hmm. is definitely very special. So being a management consultant, you must have had a really hectic lifestyle. How did you first get involved in stand-up comedy and what do you like about it? I got involved in stand-up because I took a sabbatical. So when I left <laughs> strategy consulting, I took seven months off and I needed to recharge my batteries. I was really, really, really burnt out. And for me, I spent a little bit of time kind of collecting myself, I would call it, you know, it, mm. it was almost mentally traumatic to go through such intense, uh, you know, work and travel schedule that mm -hmm. you really lose sight of everything else in your life. Everything mm -hmm. is 100% work. And taking that time off allowed me to reflect on some of the things that I thought I should do for myself and, you know, making people laugh and just telling funny stories and all of that was very much part of my DNA. So I thought about doing comedy. I'd seen some comedians that always really interested me. And I decided to go to an open mic night and give it a try. And it was, yeah, it was, it was really fun and it didn't, it didn't crash and burn and I'll <laughs> come back the next week and then the next week. And then after that, I joined the rotation and started to do longer sets, started to write new material. It became really infectious. Like I loved it. It was so much fun. And then I started to get offers to tour, um, do bigger shows and mm. yeah, it, it became a second career. So, uh, it's something I, I would have never thought would have happened in parallel with, you know, all the other things that I was doing, but it, it really was able to, you know, be something that I could do at the end of a long week of work and just get on stage, put on a pair of jeans and, and tell some jokes and, and kind of wind down from what was a stressful week at work. So that was very important. The other thing that people, I, I often say this, but people don't realize is comedy is actually highly beneficial to a corporate career. I mean, on mm. the one hand, I brought a lot of my clients to my shows. So, mm. <laughs> and we built a totally different rapport and relationship on the back of them seeing my humor as opposed to them seeing uh, my consulting <laughs> uh, side. 
But the other part of it is it really teaches you, and to go to my earlier point, how to read your room, how to um, how to adapt, right? How to have yeah. as high EQ as possible to work out how to change the course of what you're saying, uh, mm -hmm. change your narrative, bring people on side. Because comedy for me is the purest form of democracy. Uh, you have a new crowd every every time. And mm. your job is to bring as many people on board with you on your journey and your storytelling and your sense of humor. And the reality is not every single person has the same sense of humor. So you have to, you know, you have to keep very well aware of your audience and, and react accordingly. So learning that and learning how to adapt so rapidly and keep on your feet, when you apply that in a boardroom, mm -hmm. you realize that skill set becomes so well utilized in your consulting career because you learn how to manage the unexpected and you learn how to win people over even when you can tell that maybe at the start they're skeptical, right? So mm -hmm. comparable things that complement each other with both careers. And I, I think they've been a, a big, big plus uh, in terms of, you know, feeding off each other throughout the past few years. Yeah, that's so interesting. I never really thought there's so much in common between comedy and strategy, like strategy consulting. It's really well, quite rare. Well, I'm just happy it's it's that clients don't laugh at our work, right? That 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 thing in common would be <laughs> wouldn't be good. Yeah, that you will yeah. not want to see that. Yeah. <laughs> Separately. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not together. Yeah. So I watched your TED talk at um HKUST and mm -hmm. that was very interesting. You mentioned that the two most important things in a career are doing what you like and doing what you are good at. Do you think this has been the case for your career so far? Yeah, I, I mean not my entire career. I, mm -hmm. I think I did things that I maybe wasn't the best at, at the start, but got very good at. Um, mm -hmm. But then I didn't like them, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why I often say this is my career advice. And a lot of people will say, well, oh, it sounds idealistic. Everyone can just go out and do, do what they like uh, and just follow your dreams. But mm. that's, that's not what I say. I never mm. use that line. My line mm. is go and do what you like, but make sure you're good at it, right? Mm. And if you're not good at it, it's, it's very hard to become the master of your craft and work out how to monetize it. If you mm. love something and you need to be honest with yourself as to whether you're good at it or not, if you're not good at it, then by all means, keep doing it, but treat it more as a hobby, right? Not as mm -hmm. a profession. And oftentimes it's, you know, you, you need an objective lens as to being able to take a step back and look at your capabilities within the thing that you love and to say, am I among the best at what I do? Because if I am, then I, I have a chance. If you're really not, there are still people that do very well who are not good at what they do. I see that all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe they're very good at selling an idea. Maybe they're very good at, you know, getting people really rallied behind a cause, but they themselves aren't the best at doing something. But I, I think for me, it only really came to light when I started my business because mm. I knew I was very good at this as a skill set. I knew I mm -hmm. knew the banking industry and the finance industry well. I knew I was a good consultant, but mm -hmm. I knew I wasn't the best employee. So I always felt more at home leading people, making decisions, uh, having full ownership and accountability, 
um, and really, you know, building a team as opposed to being one of those cogs in that machine. And, you know, only when I went to set up my own firm did I finally, finally start to realize I'm doing what I love and we're really good at this. Otherwise, I would have been out of business very soon. Mm. And for me, that started to, you know, that started to make me reflect and say, you, you're doing something right. You know, you're, you're on the right path. And however this pans out is however it pans out. But that, that leap of faith that you made to leave the corporate world and do it on your own was exactly the right thing to do for you. And I realized that when I started to come home or call my family or, or say hello, and there was no more complaining, there was no more, oh, I don't like this or this is wrong. And it's... Mm it was just all the right kind of energy yeah. put in and that was very important. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm really glad you took on that path then. Trust Sounds me. like oh, you my. really love what you're doing now. I do. I do. It doesn't mean there aren't days where, you know, it's frustrating or so on, of but course. that frustration is not long lived. It's yeah. very short lived. And especially when, you're a CEO, you can't spend time dwelling on these things. You just, you can have a, a moan about something for 30 seconds and then mm -hmm. you just have to get on with it because mm. there's nothing else you can do. That's life, right? So yeah. it, it was a lot of self-development throughout this process. I would have, I've learned so much more about myself and how to scale mm -hmm. up and be more resilient and be better at what I do by going out on my own with no safety net at all, mm. no backers, no, no family money, nothing. It was just all me. Uh, and you know, that, that drive and that responsibility and that ownership over things really mm. made me work hard to achieve the things that I wanted to achieve. Uh, and for me, like the biggest reward is just seeing the firm grow, uh, mm -hmm. seeing new people come on board, seeing them skill up and actually growing a team and a company, you know, and that's, mm -hmm. if I can leave behind a legacy like that one day, uh, I'll be really, <laughs> really happy that I've, you know, achieved those things that I set out to do when I left the industry. Yeah, that's great. So one last question, are there any things on your bucket list, career-wise or not? My bucket list, what else? Oh, I have to finish writing my book. Uh, I mentioned you have you know, a book. You are writing a book right one now. Yet. I trust me. There's a lot of things that I have wanted to do, but I think just given I probably sleep four or five hours a night, there's really not much time left in my oh, day yeah. to do them. So yes, a book. I definitely want to. Um, yeah, I want to publish. There's a couple of things that I want to put out to market, but I'm about halfway through one of them. Um, mm -hmm. so that's definitely there, uh, travel a lot more, except I think we're all <laughs> both now. So that, that dream is probably everyone else's dream at the moment. Um, mm -hmm. to be honest, I look bucket list, not, not really. Most of the things mm. I want to do, I'm doing, uh, mm -hmm. I wouldn't call them a bucket list. It's just doing the things that I enjoy. So mm -hmm. the effort, if I want to do something, to just do it. And I stop mm. making excuses for why I can't do it or shouldn't do it. You realize life is short. You've got X amount of opportunities to make the most of it. So why let them slide? Why let the mindset of all these things on your bucket list, you know, 
not come to fruition. I want to look back and say, I did that. I tried that. You know, I gave that a shot. And I think many of the things like comedy and um, performing and um, uh, running my own business, uh, chairing FinTech Association, mm-hmm. you know, I would look if I had to be really, you know, out there, I would say that one day I would love, I would love to run for PM of Australia. I would love wow. to. I would love to. And the reason why I'd like to do it is to actually drive meaningful change. You know, I often look at government as a broken entity and, and a broken institution in many countries around the world. And mm. I think that, you know, having the combination of at least intellect with the ability to make decisions, stand behind them uh, and do it in a way that you know, reinstate some form of a diplomatic conversation, which doesn't exist these days, right? It's sad mm-hmm. how much the state mm-hmm. of world politics has deteriorated. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think the world needs some really strong and good leaders uh, back mm-hmm. there to, to bring us out of what is effectively this, um, you know, this new Cold War crisis that we're in, which is, it's very sad to see. So, you know, I would love to be able to do something for the public good, uh, you know, obviously right. at, at a stage where I think I can, you know, make that impact and, and drive that change. So uh, that's a big bucket list. <laughs> that's, that's you know, down, down the road. Uh, well, anything is possible. We definitely look forward to seeing you in <laughs> politics. That will be a very different arena. Yeah, it, w- it would be. It would be fun, but it's it's something I would love to aspire to one day. Maybe when I move back to Australia. Yeah. So yeah, things come in a circle. Perhaps you'll be back in Australia, just where you started from. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised. Look, Australia is great. Um, I do love the country, and I would love to. Uh, go back one day, not right now, um, but you know, I, I think there is a calling back to Australia at some point. But when I go back, I don't just want to retire and do nothing. You know, yeah. I, I want to actually drive some meaningful change. And if I have enough energy in my body uh, and it, <laughs> the will to want to do something, I believe I would do it. Yeah, cool. Thanks so much for joining us, uh, Ben. I'm sure our listeners really benefited from your insights today. Thanks very much for having me and hopefully people have enjoyed listening to this. Great. Bye. All right. Bye now. Thanks for listening. If you like it, please share with other people. Bye.